ready? to be a light to the nations, and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. And now the Kiddush, blessing over the cup. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Borei pri hagahafin, Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Amen. And now the blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atadonai, Eloheinu melech olam. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Amen. Now, husbands, if you will bless your wives. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the wonderful wife that you've given me. And Father, we thank you and we pour out a blessing upon all the wives on this Sabbath day. I pray that you bless her, strengthen her, and encourage her as she rises in the night to see about the ways of the household. And I pray that you strengthen her as she teaches and educates our children. Father, I pray that you pour out your very best blessing upon her and that you would encourage her in everything that she does. Let her know how worthy of praise and honor that she is. And Father, I confess with all of my heart that I love her and I thank you, Lord, for her. We also bless all of the widows and orphans, those without a father or a husband at this time as well. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. All right, now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. 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 Let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Shalom. Please join us for the Baruch the call to worship. Baruch et Aronai Hamvorach. Baruch Aronai Hamvorach Leolam Vaed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamocha. Mi chamocha ba'elim Adonai Mi chamocha nedar ba'kodesh Norat ehilot o'osef ele'i 
Blessing of Messiah. Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu et derech ha-Yeshua b'Mashiach Yeshua. Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Vishamru. Vishamru v'nei Yisrael et hashabat, la'asot et hashabat la'doratam barit olam, b'nei uvayan b'nei Yisrael oti le'olam, Kishishet yamin asa aronai et hashmayim va et haralets uvayom hashvi'i shvat vayinefash. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema. If you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuto, Le'olam va'ed Yeshua HaMashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'ahavta. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elochecha. Altogether, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen.
Sometimes on this journey I get lost in my misses What looks to me like weakness Is a canvas for your strength And my story isn't over And my story's just begun But failure won't define me Cause that's what my father does But failure won't define me Cause that's what my father does Shame at the door, cause it ain't welcome anymore. Ooh, you're in the Father's house. Arrival's not the end game, the journey's where you are. Never wanted perfect, you just wanted my heart. And the story isn't over, yeah, the story isn't good. There's never final when the father's in the room. No failure's never final when the father's in the room. Shame out the door Cause it ain't welcome anymore Ooh, you're in the Father's house Ooh, lay your burdens down Ooh, you're in the Father's house Check your shame out the door Cause it ain't welcome anymore Let's follow. Love is on the move when the father's in the room. The prison doors wide and the dead come to life. Love is on the move when the father's in the room. The miracles take place. The cynical find faith. Love is breaking through when the Father's in the room The Jericho walls breaking The strongholds are shaking Love is breaking through When the Father's in the room Love is breaking through When the Father's in the room Shame at the door Cause it ain't welcome anymore Ooh, here in the Father's house The 
The prodigals come home The helpless final The love is on the move When Yahweh's in the room The prison doors swing wide And the dead come to life The love is on the move When the Father's in the room Miracles take place The cynical five Love is breaking through when the Father's in the room. The Jericho walls are quaking, the strongholds now are shaking. Love is breaking through when the Father's in the room. Love is breaking through when the Father's in the room. Lay your burdens down. your shame at the door cause it ain't welcome anymore Ooh, here in the Father's house Ooh, here in Yahweh's house keep me to your keep me to your Shalom, everyone, and welcome to our Air Shabbat broadcast here at B'nai Shalom. This Sabbath, our Torah portion is the second one that comes of the book of Leviticus. It's entitled the Hebrew Tzav, as spelled T-Z-A-V. And last uh, Shabbat, if you were part of the, our, our fellowship, we opened up the book of Leviticus, Vayikra, and began to talk about the sacrificial system, the instructions to the priests concerning that. And we introduced um, in those passages how one of the children of Israel were, were to, the kind of gifts they were to bring to the tabernacle for the worship of the Lord and how to make their presentation of their gifts to the Lord. This portion almost mimics that portion. It will cover some of the same topics of the different sacrifices. But this time, this portion is going to be giving detailed instructions to the priests on how to present those properly on behalf of the brethren. And one of the key things that we know about the um, worship of the Lord is that God, when he set up this community structure for us to come and worship the Lord, that he set up a system in which there were intermediaries. In other words, you would come to worship the Lord, but to do that properly, you need to have the services of a priest to be able to do it. 
the truth of the matter is that that was all done so that we could understand how important and why it was essential that we needed the redemption of the Messiah. He is our true high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He is the intermediary between us coming to God and God himself. We must have the services and the benefit that the Messiah does for us uh, because that pattern was explained to us and we were taught this in the Torah about how to come to worship the Lord, that we have to have this priestly uh, person to assist. And so thus the book of Leviticus is giving these detailed instructions to the priest on how to perform that service according to the way the Lord wants it done. Now, um, again, going back to the subject of sacrifices in general, um, it comes down to the subject of what is the true form of worship of God. Uh, the true form of worship of God is not religious ritual. The true form of worship of God is that you come with your heart before God to express your praise, your thanksgiving, uh, and, and to cultivate a deep relationship with the Lord, to be him to be your God and for you to be his people. That is the ultimate goal. Now, to accomplish that, um, the Lord has specified certain things for you. If you want to come before me, these are the things I want you to do. Well, I would submit to you, it's, it, it makes the same sense. Let's say that I meet somebody in the community and um, I like them and I want to be friends with them. And oh, by the way, they want to be friends with me. We, we have this agreed goal. We both want to get together. And so how do we do that? Well, we do it by coming to a common table. We sit down at the table with each other. We have a meal with each other. We discuss things. We, you know, we, we come and we uh, express ourselves to, to one another. And, and so that's how you build a close relationship with someone to have friendship and so forth. God says, if you want to come and have a real relationship, I have set up my table, which is called the altar, and I want you to come. You can bring this type of gift that will be acceptable to be on my table. Come, let's come together at my table, and we'll have fellowship with one another. That's the goal. The goal is not to appear to be religious. The goal is not to P's and Q's of religiosity. Um, some people think, I'm, I'm telling you, this is, I, I came out of this environment. Some people think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm in good stead with God if I just go to church. Oh, let me add to it. And I'll donate to the church. Let me, let me add to that. Oh, I'll go to Sunday school. And I'll think well of the preacher. And I'll cooperate with the other brethren and uh, we'll have a spaghetti dinner once in a while. Uh, all religious kind of activity. Ne tell me which one of those builds your relationship with God. None of them do it. And by the way, bringing a lamb 
just so it can be slain and thrown up on the altar does not build your relationship with God. It's that it represents something, and you come to reach to the Lord. That is what the Torah is trying to teach. But because we're dealing with human beings, uh, many people have made a lot of mistakes about this. You can go and join with your fellow believer brethren in fellowship and still grow your relationship with the Lord. But it's not because you went to church or synagogue or to where your congregation meets. It, it's because of where your heart was at. The reason I mention that is because there's a very emphatic part here uh, in this uh, teaching, and it has to do with, in chapter 6, with regard to repeating again about this uh, whole burnt offering. There's one of those jots and tittles in here. Specifically, when it comes to the word hearth, uh, which is up on the altar, when you put the whole burnt offering on the hearth, that Hebrew word that is there, there's a letter in there called the letter mem. And it is a, there's two ways you can draw a mem. Um, and, the, um, and there's different ways the scribes present it. In this particular case, the scribes make the letter mem small compared to all of the rest of the text. So what's that mean? Well, the letter mem, first of all, has to do with the womb and where a soul comes in, where a soul enters into a person for the first time. It's in the womb. And so the idea is it has to do with your soul. And so the, the understanding of bringing a whole burnt offering is that you're supposed to, when you make the offering, you're to put your whole soul up on the hearth. That now I know it's a it's a an animal sacrifice that goes up there, uh, and, but the idea is you're supposed to accept this animal sacrifice as a substitute for you, and it's supposed to represent your soul that's being put up on the table of the Lord. This is exactly what Paul was trying to convey to us in Romans 12, uh, at the first part of the chapter. I beseech you, brethren. By the mercies of God. The mercies of God is the entire altar system. That's the name of the entire sacrificial system. The mercies of God. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. You give all of you over to the Lord in your worship of him and when you present and as your substitute. That is exactly what the Messiah did for us. He gave all of himself for us, and God expects us to respond to that by giving all of ourselves to him too. That's the sacrificial system in a nutshell. That's what's taught in this Torah portion. That's what it's about. But since we're also talking about the Haftors this year, let me take you to the Haftor portion that is now addressing this particular um, Torah portion for this Sabbath. And to do that, we're going to go to the book of Jeremiah and chapter 7, and we're going to begin at verse 21 and carry it through the first part of chapter 8. And then there's going to be another part, 
and it's going to be in chapter 9, just a couple of verses there. So let me walk you through Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 21. I think you're going to see instantly why this portion is selected to go along with the second portion of Leviticus when he's giving these detailed instructions on how to present sacrifices. Chapter 7, beginning at verse 21, says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Add your burnt offerings unto your sacrifices, and eat ye flesh. For I spoke not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I had brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this thing I commanded them, saying, Hearken unto my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk ye in all the way I command you, that it may be well with you. you Jeremiah here just said that when God brought us out of Egypt, and he established the tabernacle, and he established all these instructions on these sacrifices, It wasn't for the purpose of a ritual exercise of putting an animal up on the altar. It was for the following purpose. And let me just repeat to you what he said. But this thing I commanded them, saying, Hearken unto my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk ye in all the way I command you, that it may be well with you. I want a relationship with you. And I want you to want to have a relationship with me, God. Now, here's Jeremiah making commentary on what is the teaching of Moses. By the way, his commentary is accurate. Because a good Torah teacher, that's what they will teach you about the sacrificial system. It's about God setting up a substitutionary system so that we can have a relationship with him. And it's the reason why the Messiah had to be sacrificed. And in particular, he was the lamb of God's sacrifice, the sacrifice given by God. Because here's a couple of other hard facts that God explains to us in the Torah. If you willfully, and by the way, this would include all of us, if you willfully sin against God, justice demands that you die. And God is a just God. If you willfully sin against God, you deserve to die. That's justice. And the uh, and with that said, we got a problem. See, we've all sinned, and God's going to hold us accountable. And then the law goes on to say that you can't bring. Uh, having set up the substitutionary system, you can't bring any sacrifice to me that will satisfy the need when the, the determination against you is death. You can't bring a lamb. You can't bring a bull. You can't bring a bunch of goats. You can't even offer your own children. You can't even offer yourself. It's not acceptable. Substitute to pay for your sins. Only judgment is the only way to equalize God's judgment. 
So we're here, we're taught about all, you know, bringing sacrifices and so forth. So, so what's the point here? I mean, if, if I can't bring a sacrifice and you're telling me that I'm supposed to understand bringing sacrifices, what, 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 is, what is going on here, God? Well, if we can't bring a sacrifice that will be acceptable to pay for that so that we can be passed from death to life, then there's only one other person who could bring a sacrifice for that. That would have to be God himself. God himself would have to be the one who brings the sacrifice and that we would have to accept that substitute for us. Well, that's the whole gospel story. That's what Passover is all about. It's about God provides the lamb and we're passed from the death sentence to life. And the whole understanding, how we come to terms with that, how we understand what God's doing and how we get to be a part of that, is we have to understand his sacrificial system, how he accepts value for value, a sacrifice, something of great value in in exchange for something of great value as well. It's the basic parameters of the law, eye for eye, you know, Tooth for tooth, life for life. It, it, it's, that's justice. That, that's how you balance justice. It has to be equal. So to achieve God's justice, there has to be payment, propitiation. Therefore, there has to be sacrifice. These are all basic principles taught by Moses and the Torah. And here's Jeremiah saying, why did God set all that up? Why did he give all these instructions about these? He said it was so that you would have a relationship with him. I mean, this is stunning how simple this is. That's what our Hoftor portion, Jeremiah, is trying to teach us. He goes on further. Let me read further for you. But this thing I commanded them, saying, Hearken unto my voice, I will be your God. Ye shall be my people, and ye shall walk in the way I command you, that ye may be well with you. But they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in their own counsels, even in the stubbornness of their own evil heart, and went backwards and not forward. By the way, they were doing sacrifices at that time. Israel had the temple system. They were bringing sacrifices. But their hearts were going the wrong way. They were religious. They had the ritual down. We'll follow exactly the instructions the priests have to follow. But their hearts were far from the Lord. And it speaks to the issue of all this stuff here that we're doing doesn't mean anything in your relationship with God unless your heart is there. The talit that I'm wearing. If my heart is not seeking the Lord, then this talit is meaningless. It's a, it's a cloth, prayer shawl, hangs over my shoulders. It, it doesn't mean anything. But if all of a sudden the sits at the commandment of the talit, which is these tassels, if it provokes me to remember to remember the Lord and to remember his commandments so that I will obey them and I will pursue the Lord, then this 
set of tassels represents a series of knots that binds me to the Lord. That's what this is representing. It binds me to the Lord. By the way, the Hebrew word sav, which is the word command, uh, if you break each of the meanings of the letters down, let me tell you what's in those letters. Hooks and nails. You know what those are? Attaching parts. The attaching parts for you to God are the commands of the Lord. If you obey the Lord and keep his commands, you become attached to the Lord. If you disobey the Lord, you become detached from the Lord. It's a very simple little picture. It's like if I build a house and I want these walls to come together, I'm going to use nails and I'm going to use things that attach the parts together. The same thing is in the faith. You need attaching parts in your life if you're going to be connected with the Lord. And there's a lot of different things and a lot of different commands, and each one of them helps attach you to the Lord, whether it be keeping Sabbath, keeping festival, uh, eating uh, the clean and instead of the unclean. Every one of those things attaches you to the Lord. And some of us, for the first time, are becoming attached to the Lord. Now, what's the history of Israel? All of those things that God set up, this whole explanation of trying to build relationship, this whole way to come and bring gifts and to receive gifts and so forth and build a relationship with God, that was its purpose. Well, everybody was going through the ritual of doing it, but their hearts were far from him, and they were becoming detached from the Lord. So detached that God had no choice but to judge his people and kick them out of the promised land. Well, ladies and gentlemen, here we are. We're the product of being scattered in the nations. And the world is full of different ethnic groups and folks that, you know, we true are true Hebrews. We're not from here. We're from way over there. And Israel is living out the meaning of being Hebrews because most of them are scattered all over the world. That's what the prophet is talking about. That's the thing that he's doing. And he's speaking to the fact that Israel made this choice to do these rituals, to do these sacrifices, but their hearts were kept from the Lord. Now, let me tell you how our portion uh, here concludes uh, in the Hoftor portion. Again, it jumps suddenly to chapter 9. In Jeremiah, and it's only a couple of verses. And let me read, read those verses for you. This is chapter 9, beginning at verse 22. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and he knoweth me, that I am the Lord who exercise mercy, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, saith the Lord. He says there's really only one thing that is true glory. 
Now, the world will tell you that uh, you can glory in knowledge, that you can glory in strength, that you can uh, glory in wealth. And we, we see it in the world. We see the rich men and how they're glorified there. We see athletes, great strength. We, we, they're, they're gloried in that. We see those who are very wise and knowledgeable and educated. We see them glorying in those things. Those are things that you can glory in, but they are in the end and for eternity worthless. There's no glory in eternity for those things. I guarantee you that when you get to the kingdom, what we call the heaven in his kingdom, Nobody's going to be jumping up and down and say, hey, take a look at me. I, I got my master's degree in computer science. Nobody's going to say, hey, I, I set the NFL record for uh, quarterback passing. Or nobody's going to say, well, you know, when I was back on the earth, man, I was so rich, you should have seen the yacht I used to own. All that stuff will be meaning, meaningless. But let me tell you what the glory is that you will have in the kingdom. And this will be the real glory. And that is that you understand and you know God. And in particular, he emphasizes three things. That you understand his mercy, his justice, and his righteousness. Now, these, this expression here, by the way, that Jeremiah is using, this is a somewhat common expression. You can go to other places in Scripture and you'll find this listing. But this is generally how it is found. It'll start off with truth, justice, and righteousness. This instance, it's mercy, justice, and righteousness. When the Old Testament uses the word mercy in this, in this case, a lot of translators will go ahead and put, they think, the stronger definition for the word in, and the word that will be put in there is loving kindness. In fact, some of your Bible versions may use that word. That you know the loving kindness, justice, and mercy of God. That you understand the incredible thing that God did on your behalf. How merciful he was to you. How he was full of loving kindness for you. That you appreciate what God did for you. That will be worthy of great glory in the kingdom. That further, that you understand that God... God Almighty, creator of the heavens and the earth, is the one true judge. And that all of his judgments are just and correct. And you understand that. It's not that you just agree to whatever he does. You understand the weight and the significance of that, about God. And finally, it says about righteousness. Most men's definition of righteousness in the world 
is about how to make them right. And there's nobody in the world that wants to be a bad person. They're all looking to be a right, good person. And, but the problem is, is they usually are seeking the path of trying to collect and build their own righteousness. I will do such and such, and as a result, I will be regarded as a righteous person. In fact, the scripture teaches that a righteous man gives. Some people give so that they have a sense of righteousness. But there will be no glory in that in the kingdom. The glory of righteousness is that you will understand that your real righteousness comes from the Lord himself. I don't have my own righteousness. I'm, I want to be part of God's righteousness. He's the righteous one. And I recognize that and I understand that. And that's what I want to be associated with. I want to be associated with him and his judgments, and his loving kindness, his mercy, his grace, his truth. So you can imagine if being a wealthy man isn't going to do you any good, or a star athlete is not going to do you any good, or a great general is not going to do you any good, or being whatever that you can be in the world. It's not going to count for anything in the kingdom, the only thing that's going to count is your relationship with God and what do you really understand and know about God. That's the part that will count. Why did God have these sacrificial system? So that you could come and gain those things with the Lord. That you would see it illustrated how he's going to give the gift for you that you would be see it illustrated how sanctified and important that is, the value that's put into it, that you would understand his grace and his mercy, that you would be able to make the commitment to put your whole soul in on the altar with him, to be committed to him, to have relationship with him and gain understanding and knowledge of who he is. That's... What remains? That's what makes it into the kingdom. And while Israel has illustrated for us the mistake of having the sacrificial systems but their hearts are far from God, we're in the position of where we don't have that sacrificial system explained here by Leviticus, but we're trying to learn that lesson about get our hearts right with God. And when it finally does and the Messiah comes back, then that sacrificial system and bringing those gifts will be a wonderful and joyous event for all of us. It will be in the future. The scripture is clear about that. So that is our lesson for this week. Um, Shabbat Shalom to all of you. If you would, please now turn in your Bibles. We will start at uh, the book of Revelation, at chapter 16. Hold your finger at verse 15, where we will begin our Brit Hadashah portion for this week. And as you open the scripture, let us turn this time over to the Lord once again. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word and your instruction as it ministers to us and encourages us each and every week as we study your Torah and your commandments. Father, I pray that we would draw closer to you on this Sabbath day, that we would uh, see your instruction and your word come alive, come off the pages, Lord, and minister to us on this Sabbath uh, as we are uh, getting ready for Passover and the spring feasts. Father, I pray that we would just be encouraged and strengthened as we grow in our most holy faith in you. We love you, we bless you, and we thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Our portion for this week is entitled Zav, which means command, which comes to us in Leviticus chapter 6. And it begins by talking about the instruction of bringing the burnt offering that was to be given on the altar every single day, twice a day, that the burnt offering is to be burned and to be a perpetual offering offering by fire before the Lord each and every day. The rest of our portion goes on talking about um, the uh, instructions to the priests on how to give each of the various offerings that are given, uh, whether that is a sin offering, a grain offering, a peace offering, any sort of uh, different, the the different types of offerings and whatever the priest was to do in the process of giving that, Um, as well as in our portion, it talks about Aaron and his sons being consecrated to be the priests that would then operate in the altar. We have the instructions for the consecration of Aaron and his sons back in Exodus. Now here in Leviticus, specifically in chapter 8, is when that uh, procedure actually takes place. So now with our Brit Hadashah portion, what is it that we can learn or what kind of principles can we draw from the New Testament? I have us starting specifically in Revelation at uh, chapter... uh, 16 at verse 15, because there's a very specific verse that uh, speaks directly to the procedure of keeping the burnt offering going as a perpetual statute throughout the time and history of the altar. Revelation 16, 15 says this, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garment, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. This is, of course, talking about those that will be there at the end of the age who will see the great judgments that are coming upon the world and that there will be those who must who keep watch, whom we, we must stay awake and watch um, faithfully looking toward the return of the Lord. But there's this very interesting verse or very interesting wording there where it talks about keeping one's garments lest they walk naked. Well, where does that come from? Well, it ties directly back to our instruction that comes from our Torah portion for this week. The instruction for the uh, burnt offering, or what is called in the Hebrew the olah offering, was to be given twice a day, in the morning and in the evening, and there was to be a fire burning on the altar at all times. It was never to go out. Well, what that meant was that meant that there had to be a priest that was on duty, that was on night watch, on the, at the altar, making sure that the fire continued to go. Sometimes you have to stoke a fire. Sometimes you have to add some more wood to a fire to keep it going so that this offering might be burnt perpetually throughout the day and throughout the night. Well, historically, what would happen is there there was procedures and there was uh, priests that were selected and lots were drawn for what priests did what each day. And there are times, and it's understood in the priest in the priestly system uh, of the tabernacle in the temple that there was a priest that had to work the altar and had to keep the fire going each night. Well, what would happen though is that anybody who's ever been on a night watch that can be difficult at times. 
And he has to stay awake to keep that fire perpetually burning. It might be a little boring, might get tired, might fall asleep on the job. Well, what would happen in the temple service is what is when the priest in the morning would come, perhaps the high priest might be the first to come to see about the uh, ways of the tabernacle or the temple to make sure everything is in order for the offerings and all the work that is going to be done for each day. Well, what would happen was is that if the high priest were to show up and see that the fire was dying or the fire was going out, then what would happen is that it would be his job to make sure the fire got stoked back up, make sure that it was burning again. If it had gone almost to, a, to just a smolder, he'd have to really stoke it to get it back going again. But then what his job would be then to grab some coals off the altar and go find the sleeping priest, the one who was supposed to be on watch and supposed to keep that fire going. And what was traditionally done is that the high priest would use the fire from the altar to light the bottom of the garments of the sleeping priest on fire, to which that would be the way that the priest would wake up because he was not doing his job that he should have been doing. This, of course, would have been very embarrassing, very dangerous, and these linen garments, which burn extremely well, would not stay, uh, would not be extinguished so easily, and that priest would have to walk away in shame for not doing his job as he was supposed to be doing. This is the traditional story or the, the legend or the, the, as it's been described as this is what that job of that priest was to be, was to do, and this would actually happen in the temple. Now the verse in Revelation suddenly makes sense. For those that is supposed to keep watch, supposed to keep the fire going, to keep the worship of the Lord continuing throughout the night so that it was to never go out to ensure that that offering was given and was continually burning as it is commanded in the scripture to do, this suddenly this verse now comes alive and makes sense. This is, of course, you know, we, we can sit here and we can talk about the priests and we can talk about the altar service and that doesn't happen anymore, doesn't exist right now, currently in our modern times. And we could say, all right, none of that really has a whole lot to do with us as believers today. Unfortunately, we couldn't be further from the truth because when it comes to us being believers, we have to continually keep our focus on the Lord. We have to continue to worship the Lord throughout our life and on a regular basis. We cannot fall asleep on the job as believers, as those that are the ones who carry the Spirit of God with us, who minister to those who don't know or don't have a testimony of the Messiah or following God or knowing the Lord, that we are to be a witness to those and to make disciples of the nations and to do all of these things. It is a full-time job to be a believer. It is to worship Him, to, to follow after Him, to seek His ways, to read His Word. All of these things are things we need to do on a regular basis. What happens is if we fall asleep on the job as believers in God, we sometimes will have a rude awakening to something. Somebody will, will remind us that when we are not focusing on keeping the commandments of God, then we might slip up, we might sin, we might act in sin, and then if somebody sees us or sees the witness of us who profess to be believers, not doing what we're supposed to do, not obeying the Lord, well, suddenly our witness becomes null and void. In fact, our witness becomes a detriment because if anybody sees that, they're like, oh, so that's how believers behave. Okay, well, it's a good thing I'm not one then. That's not the witness we should have. 
We should not fall asleep on the job when it comes to being believers and walking uprightly before the Lord. This is something that we need to learn and understand. And the burnt offering that was given on the, tabern- on the altar is a beautiful example of this. This perpetual worship that was constantly happening on the altar. When the altar was operating in Jerusalem, people could know, they could live in Jerusalem and know that worship, command, the commandment of God to worship Him in this way, to burn that lamb in the morning and in the evening. And if that was constantly burning on a regular basis, you could see the smoke coming off of the altar, then you knew God was being obeyed at all times. And worship of Him was happening at all times. What a confidence that is to uh, anybody who's attending a congregation or a church. If somebody knows that there's somebody working that is laboring for that ministry to do that job all the time, it builds confidence in those that want to join in with the community, join in with fellowship, be a part of a congregation and worshiping the Lord and joining with fellow believers. That's an encouragement. When the worship of the Lord is ongoing, perpetually being offered before the Lord. That's what the burnt offering was to mean and was to represent. The burnt offering also, if we're tying in the New Testament, the burnt offering was lifted up. The Ola offering means lifted up. And it's, you can have a simple visual of the fact that fire, when it's burning on the altar, is, is coming off the altar and is raising up, and you see the smoke coming up. And you can look at fire almost as if fire is like somebody with their hands lifted up worshiping the Lord. That's kind of how fire sort of is this uh, word picture of what an offering should be or what a praise should be. And so even if we don't have a real physical altar in Jerusalem right now, whenever we're worshiping the Lord in our fellowships, in our congregations, and we have our arms raised, waving before the Lord, it's just like the fire that is being lifted up on the altar, and it is a sacrifice of praise. You can also look at Yeshua being the offering that He was, the Lamb of God sacrifice to the Lord, that He too was lifted up and raised up just like the fire was raised up upon the altar. Many parallels, many different things, the way that we see in the example of the burnt offering that we can draw parallels to the way that we worship the Lord as well. We are to be the ones who bring an offering to the Lord. I said last week, talking about how when an offering was given, we were to always make contact with the offering that was given so that it was an offering of ourselves, that it was something that we were giving or we were making connection to. If we go to Romans chapter 12, this um, here, verse 1 and 2, this is a well-known verse. You've probably heard it before or seen it on a plaque, but it is um, it exemplifies the whole idea of when an offering was given, it needs to be given by the person who is bringing the offering and of the person that is giving the offering, and in which we are called ourselves to be a living sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove 
What is that, uh, prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is calling us to understand that when we give an offering of ourselves, we are a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. When you think of a sacrifice initially, you think of a sacrifice, you bring an animal, you take a knife, you slit its throat, it dies, and then is burned and cooked on the altar, and it is offered up to the Lord. That is a dead sacrifice. It requires a death and a cut. But that when we give a sacrifice to the Lord, Paul is here speaking in Romans, talking about us being a living sacrifice, one that does not have death associated with it, but has life associated with it. That we, that by us living, breathing, acting, working, everything that we do in our lives is all about us being a sacrifice to the Lord, but not one of blood and death and burning, but one of work and praise and worship and life that comes from us. That's what has to be our hope. In the absence of an altar in Jerusalem where we cannot give offerings and sacrifices as prescribed by the law of Moses, this is now what we have in the course of our lives in how we give a sacrifice to the Lord, by worshiping Him, by raising our hands. There's many ways to bring a gift to the Lord. And this is how, and, and this is, uh, Paul's trying to teach us this for us to look inwardly at ourselves and look at what we do to serve the Lord. And that's what we all need to do. We all need to do that self reflection and see what can I do more to praise Him, to worship Him, to give an offering to Him? We should always be seeking for new ways to do that. Some of us, you know, we, we might think that it's like, oh, well, we can't, well, well, what can I do for the Lord? What can I bring? What can I, you know, some people um, always just think about an offering being a financial gift. And somebody might look at their budget and say, oh, I can't, I can't afford that this week or this month or these things, or I only have so much to give. And uh, whenever it comes to, uh, you know, giving an offering to the Lord in modern times, we think it's just about, you know, that tithe, that dropping in the, the plate as it's passed by or in the tzedakah box or whatever, however you might give. That's what we think of giving to the Lord these days. And yes, that is an offering to the Lord. And in the same way that the people, when they came into the temple, there was the, um, the, the collection jars that basically as somebody came in, nobody came to the Lord or to the temple empty-handed, and they gave offerings in that way. But that is not the only way to give an offering, in the same way that a sin sacrifice wasn't the only type of sacrifice on the altar. We have to recognize in our lives, how many different ways that we can give an offering to the Lord, to give a praise to Him. It starts with prayer, that even when you pray, you should pray and you honor Him, worship Him. In fact, in the Lord's Prayer where it says, hallowed be thy name, it's a part of giving praise and honor to Him right off the bat that in the course of prayer, we're praising Him and giving an offering of prayer to Him. In fact, that likens itself unto the incense that was offered on the golden altar in the tabernacle is that prayer is an offering. Worship is an offering. Singing praise of the Lord is an offering to the Lord. In fact, teaching the Word is an offering to the Lord. Anything that we do that basically gives of our time, our energy, our effort that does the work of the Lord 
speaks his word, gives honor to him, recognizing him, his power, the fact that he's the creator of heaven and earth, is how we can worship him. And this is how we are a living sacrifice before him. As we are called to be believers, and as we are called to walk out our faith and to, to uh, be that living sacrifice, we also have to keep ourselves holy and pure. That's one of the hardest things that we do. In fact, later on in the book of Leviticus, that's what it's all going to be about from about Leviticus chapter 11 on to chapter 21. is all about us being holy, separating ourselves from things that are not of the Lord, so that we can be a right, a clean, and an appropriate sacrifice before the Lord. This began first and foremost with the priesthood. As I said before in our portion this week, is that we have the instructions and, and the procedure when Aaron and his sons truly were consecrated before the Lord, when they sat at the doorway of the tent of meeting for seven days, and they were consecrating themselves, separating themselves from the common man of Israel and preparing to become the priests and the priesthood that would operate the altar. They had to separate and consecrate themselves. If you would now, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that has for us uh, instructions and, and words specifically talking about how we are to avoid idolatry while at the same time working and following the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at verse 14, it says this, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing, which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ, the bread which we break? Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not these who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything, or what is offered to idols is anything. Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to, I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? This is talking about how we are not to mix anything that is of the world and what is of the Lord, and about consecrating ourselves and separating ourselves from that which is of the, of the world when we are the ones who are partakers of the Lord's cup, partakers of the Lord's sacrifices. This is the thing, when, when it came time to the, the eating of the sacrifices, which certain ones that you were able to bring, the peace offering specifically, that when somebody was able to bring a peace offering before the Lord, they were able to eat of that sacrifice. It was a time of rejoicing. You would invite your family members over and you would all partake and you would all eat of the sacrifice together. But one of the things is, is that if you're eating of the sacrifice that just came from the table of God, you must make sure that you are not mixing that with something from the table of demons, table of the world, something that was sacrificed to some, some other uh, idol or some other god. 
that we are not to mix those things. And this becomes abundantly clear when it comes to the consecration of Aaron and the high priests. In fact, next week's portion, when we go into the first part of the story of it, we will find out what it is to when you mix something that is not of the Lord and when you mix strange fire with the, what is the Word of God to follow His instructions and to um, uh, keep His commandments, keep His statutes. And in all the processes and procedures of the tabernacle and the altar service, we will learn what happens when you mix strange fire with that uh, which is of the Lord. We must always remember that. Keep that in mind. And so we have to keep that in mind when we go to worship the Lord, when we go to bring that offering. This goes to where when you go to give an offering, of a financial offering to the Lord, that money is to not be blood money. That money is to not be have been acquired by ill-gotten or sinful means. If you earn that money in some way, some form or fashion, that you had to sin to get that money, that money is not an acceptable offering before the Lord. And we have to keep that in mind when we do when everything that has to do with us worshiping the Lord. As I've said before, we have to perpetually bring that worship before Him while at the same time keeping us holy, keeping ourselves pure and clean and upright before Him. Let us now go to Mark chapter 12. Now, I can guarantee you this is not the, uh, this is not the last time that we're going to be going to this passage or recounting this story from the Gospels. Here in Mark chapter 12, we have the time in which the Messiah was asked of what was the greatest of the commandments. The greatest of the commandments. Now here in Mark, there's a little bit something extra that's added to the end of the story. I think we're all fairly familiar with this, but let me go ahead and read it here again. And we know and have heard these words many times before, especially those that keep the Torah. And no, this is when the Messiah was answering very specifically, what is the heart of the Torah? What is the whole purpose of Torah? And at the very core of Torah and the commandments is the commandment of love. Let me read here now, starting at verse 28, Mark chapter 12. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, he asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Or some translations say the greatest commandment. Yeshua answered him and said, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like it, is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth. For there is one God, and there is no other but He. And to love Him with all his heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Yeshua saw that He had answered wisely, and He said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. Quite an interesting interchange here. First of all, when you see the Messiah teaching the, what is the greatest commandment of Torah, I think all of us, messianic or otherwise, should take note of this. Take note of the fact about how loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might, and also loving your neighbor as yourself, those are the two greatest commandments. In fact, there's a whole teaching on that, how if you can keep those two, then you can keep them all. 
Basically, because loving God will cause you to keep all the commandments about your relationship with God. Loving your neighbor as yourself will help you keep all the commandments that you are on how you're supposed to treat and, and act uh, with your brethren. And if you can keep those two, then you'd be good. Because besides God and besides your brethren, there's no one else. Well, except for your enemies, but there's a commandment about loving your enemies too. So, you know, love kind of covers all of it. And so here it's fascinating and we take note of this. But did you pay attention to that last little bit of line that, that one person said where he was, he was reiterating, coming back to him. And he said that very interesting phrase that all these commandments is more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. It's, it's interesting to ever see a moment in which some might, where, where you really are comparing one thing over another, that there are some commandments that sort of trump or are greater than others. Now, before I go any further, let me say this. Because we are to, because these are the greatest commandments, these don't make the lesser commandments go away. Just because the, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself is greater than every burnt offering that went on that altar. Every burnt offering. So we're talking about every lamb, every morning, on every evening of every other burnt offering that was not prescribed as the tamid offering or the daily offerings because other people were told to come and bring and could bring a burnt offering before the Lord. So there was more than two burnt offerings that were given on the altar all the time, almost every day. So... But to keep these commandments is greater than all of those. It's kind of fascinating to sort of think. Let's, think, let's, let's break this down a little bit here. That burnt offering was commanded by God, put it on the altar. It's to worship Him, and it's perpetual. Throughout, it, 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 it's a constant thing that it was always given before the Lord. For these things to be greater, for, these, for the fulfillment of these commandments to be greater than all the burnt offerings, they too would need to be perpetual. They would need to be long-standing, that when you say you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might, that has to happen at all times. That, in fact, the, the offering of one's self, as I already was saying before, was that it need to, we, we have to perpetually be worshiping the Lord. Well, to keep these commandments, that love has to perpetually continue. In, once again, in everything that we do, when we love our neighbor as ourselves or love our brethren, that it's not that sometimes we love our brethren, sometimes we don't love our brethren. No, if that burnt offering was on the altar at all times, our love for our brethren needs to exist at all times. Did you see what the Messiah said right after that? And he said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. I find that really fascinating. So that means as we're breaking this down, as we're extrapolating this idea of the love of God, love of our neighbors, relating it to the perpetual burnt offering that was always to be given, and that we see that the greatest of these commandments is love, loving God and loving our neighbors ourselves. that is how we get closer to the kingdom. Closer to the kingdom. It, it actually, it begs the question, does that mean that the burnt offerings are going to be in the kingdom? I tend to believe that they are, but they might not be in exactly the way that we perceive them to be. Back when I said we were talking about being living sacrifices. In Revelation, it talks about how in the New Jerusalem that somebody, they, they saw no temple there but that the Lamb of God was the temple and that the light shined there from the New Jerusalem. 
And when we're talking about the temple that has been established inside each and every one of us, you know, it, it, it's kind of fascinating to me. In fact, I'll, I'll say something that maybe sounds, sounds a little strange. It is a blessing to us in modern times, as we can learn and study the Word of God, that we don't have an altar in Jerusalem for us to look inwardly and understand how a temple is meant to be built here rather than the physical temple in Jerusalem. If the physical temple was in Jerusalem, it would be this physical site, this physical crutch that we would see, and we would think, all right, this is how you worship the Lord. You do this, you do that, and, then that's, and that's how you worship the Lord. And we would always look outwardly at the temple in the information age, modern technology. There's probably be a live YouTube feed constantly of the temple, of the altar, if there was one in Jerusalem right now. You can do so. You can look at the Wailing Wall at any given point in time because there's a camera on there all the time, and there's always a live feed from the Western Wall in Jerusalem. The fact that there isn't that physical temple leaves us to sit here in the in exiled in the nations and to say, Lord, how do we worship you? Reveal the ways that we can worship you. And studying his word, studying his instruction shows us how God desires to dwell within us, within our hearts, within the tabernacle and the temple of our hearts, and that we look inwardly at ourselves to be that living sacrifice, to be that perpetual offering to God, to be the living sacrifice. How do we do that? Well, by doing exactly what I've been describing. Love God. Praise Him. Worship Him. Show that you love Him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. Do physical actions that show how you love Him and worship Him. And that is how the perpetual work of worshiping the Lord, you do that on a regular basis on, uh, to, to seek after Him, follow after Him, worship Him. I believe we even worship the Lord even in our sleep. When we go unconscious and, our, and, and whatever that's like, when we lose all sense of time and when we dream before the Lord that our bodies, our, our, our soul, our spirit, wherever it goes when we sleep, goes to be closer to the Lord. When the flesh dies, our spirit draws nearer to the Lord. That you can extrapolate that out to when our, when our bodies start to break down, we tend to turn to the Lord in our time of need. But also, if our physical body breaks down so much that it ceases to live, that's definitely when our spirit goes on to be in the presence of the Lord. The more the flesh dies, the closer we are to the Lord. So that even when we sleep or go unconscious, we're worshiping the Lord in the evening time, just like the burnt offering on the altar as it was burning throughout the evening. And then in the day, when we're conscious, is when we can also make the conscious decision to serve the Lord and to worship Him. That's also at the time when we can consciously do good for our neighbor, for our brethren, showing that we love our brethren and love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We keep, if we keep those commandments day in, day out, perpetually, if there is a fire that is always burning on this altar... That is the fulfillment of the burnt offering that happened when the temple and the altar was operating as well. It's the spiritual example of it. It's the, for us, that's how we are more spiritually minded rather than physically minded. We're focused on the Lord. We're focused on His Spirit that dwells inside of us instead of always looking at the physical. Now, both work in tandem 
One is not, one, one does not trump the other. One does not replace the other. Just we, we, we cannot in our lives, we cannot make the choice and say, I'm just going to go all spiritual. Everything's going to be spiritual. I'm just going to neglect everything that's physical in the world, and I'm just going to focus on my spiritual belief in God. Well, okay, then what are you going to eat for lunch? Nope, my spiritual, uh, uh, my food, all I need is spiritual food, and I will live. Okay, give about two weeks, you're not going to make it anymore. Well, I, you can fast for 40 days, so you can, I guess you could do that. But no, you have to phys- acknowledge the physical at the same time as the spiritual. You can't just choose one or the other. You can't neglect one or the other. So does that mean that we need a sacrifice and we need burnt offerings offered before the Lord on an altar physically in the world today? If we could, if we could, if, 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 if Judea, the Jews in Israel could get a piece of the Temple Mount and worship the Lord in that way, it would be a keeping of the commandments of Scripture. No one should speak against that, and that would be a wonderful and beautiful thing because you're physically doing what has been commanded for you to do. Does, would that then replace us spiritually understanding how to worship Him and to have a fire of worship being upon our heart day in and day out? The spiritual temple that the, the Messiah has built inside each and every one of His followers and His believers? Of course not. It would not replace that. But then has that, has that spiritual growth inside of us completely caused something, a commandment of Torah, to become null and void? Absolutely not. God forbid that His Word become null and void. Now, we don't have an altar. We don't have the temple. But if we could have it, one would not replace the other. We have to do so. We have to have the balance and the understanding that we have to be spiritually minded and physically minded. But one of the things we also have to remember too is that we have to remember to die unto ourselves so that we can focus on the Lord. We have to set aside the flesh, the desires of the flesh, so that we can keep our spiritual focus on our heavenly Father. But the physical helps us to do that. Just as it says, where it's like, how can you love, say that you love your brother in the physical or say that you love your earthly father and then, and, 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 or I'm mixing that up. How can you say you love your heavenly father if you don't love your earthly father or don't love your physical brother? You cannot say that because the physical helps us to understand the spiritual. They all have to work in tandem. With all the things with the offerings, we can sit here and we can talk about, you know, the, the details and the knowledge of what the priests did and how they executed the offerings and all of those details and, and different things like that. But the best thing that we can do as followers and believers of the Lord is to take those principles and figure out how they apply to our personal lives. How do we tend to the altar on this in your heart? When you have invited the Lord, the high priest, into your life, into your heart, may your heart be clean, may your heart be pure, so that he can tend to help you to tend to that fire and be as a priest when you go to pray before the Lord. Yeshua is our intercessor between us and the Lord, just like the high priest was the intercessor between the common man and the presence of God. That is, if we don't look at the process and the procedures of offerings and sacrifices in the tabernacle. And if we don't apply that to the heart and the temple and the tabernacle that we have built inside here, where God originally desired to dwell, He originally desired to dwell inside us rather than in some physical example for us to see, He wants to dwell inside us. 
Scripture says that multiple times. In fact, it was, it was only the idea that he desired to speak into them, make covenant with them at Mount Sinai. Then they stopped God and said, no, don't say anymore. Or then they sinned in the gold, with the golden calf. And it was like, it wasn't until all of that that then it was like, okay, well, here's the tabernacle then. Something physical for you to see and to walk out your faith this way. But ultimately, God's ultimate plan is to dwell inside the hearts of his people. So I pray that we would have that fire, that you would have that fire on that altar to worship Him. Worship Him constantly and as a perpetual statute throughout your life, throughout your generations, morning and night. May our praise and worship of Him be constant. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord. For this teaching, this instruction, we thank you for this week's Torah portion. Father, we bless you and we thank you for everything that you are doing in our lives. Father, we pray for uh, the world, whatever's going on in it. Father, I pray that uh, you would keep your people safe, that we would always keep our focus on you. And Father, we pray that your will be done in all things. We submit humbly to your perfect will. And Father, I pray that you continue to reveal to us through your word how to bring your kingdom here. For, Father, we pray that that kingdom come very soon. And, Father, I pray that you just use us, your servants, Lord, to to serve that kingdom, to serve the brethren, and to minister to uh, all who need to hear your word and your instruction. And I pray that we would fulfill um, the call for Israel to be a kingdom of priests, and may we be intercessors between the world, the nations, the Gentiles, and you, and that we would be the bridge that would bring all to know your word, your testimony, and the knowledge and the testimony of, your, of Yeshua, your Son. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for everything that you do in our lives. It's in your Son, Yeshua, that we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Shalom. Shalom.